Welcome back to the Tasty Morsels of Critical Care podcast. This is a somewhat basic and general episode, even for this podcast, which indulges in frequent generalisation and summaries of already pre-existing summaries. It covers O's manual, chapter 47, looking at acute kidney injury. While hardly the most exciting topic in the world, there are a few important parallels here that are perhaps worth emphasising. O leads with the Kedigo as the AKI classification of choice. The Kedigo classification spits you into three stages based on changes in creatinine and urine output over specified time periods. And when you compare it side by side with older definitions like a kin and rifle, you can see that not a great deal has changed. Kedigo maintains its importance, um, however, as the one used the most commonly in the recent CRRT trials that we all have read. The old pre-renal intrinsic and post-renal classification system in terms of cause of AKI still seems to work pretty well. However, the vast majority of what we see is boring old pre-renal septic AKI. The pathophysiology here is challenging to study, but one animal model we do have suggested renal blood flow actually increases initially with the hyperdynamic state of sepsis, but without histological signs of injury. And this seems to be the opposite of what we might intuit uh, might happen, and certainly what we go after in terms of our treatment targets by perhaps increasing the map or flooding them with fluid. Most of the, the changes resulting in reduced function are probably at a microvascular level and remain slightly opaque, at least to armchair renal hobbyists like myself. Parenchymal diseases are often those that nephrologists who like to taste, I mean, uh, spin their own urine can get very excited about. But they are rare. Uh, they often do have specific treatments beyond the simple spin and the big green machine, uh, and these will all be dealt with in a different post altogether. Excluding obstruction in AKI with some imaging like an ultrasound is a common recommendation, but is in general incredibly low yield. And while I hear it is technically possible to get someone admitted to hospital without a CT scan, it seems that most people I find in the ICU the next day will have had some imaging done, which to be honest, I don't really complain about. But in those who have sneaked into the unit without a run through the donut of truth, then it is worth putting the probe on to look for some hydronephrosis, as now and again you'll come out like a rock star for picking it up. There's a reminder in O that none of the nephroprotective drugs that we've seen have really panned out. Renal dose dopamine has gone the way of ventilating people with a tidal volume of 12 mils per kilogram. O phrases this incredibly generously, saying, quote, A phase 3 clinical trial in critically ill patients showed that low-dose dopamine was as effective as placebo in prevention of renal dysfunction in ICU patients. Ah, look at that, as effective as placebo. There is a useful reminder here that urea and creatinine only rise after about 50% of GFR is lost, which begs the question of why haven't we invented a better biomarker yet? There are indeed a few out there with names like cystatin C and my personal favourite neutrophil gelatinase associated lipocalin or NGAL, which does sound a little bit like some form of experimental ice cream. Thankfully none of these are ready for clinical use so it would seem unfair uh, to ask more about them than this for an exam. Alright, thank you for listening and until next time.